The Heavy Duty Parts Report is brought to you by Find It Parts, your ultimate destination for heavy duty truck and trailer parts. Discover a vast range of parts at finditparts.com. Ready to purchase the parts discussed in today's episode? Head over to finditparts.com and get them right away. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Urban, and this is the podcast where you're going to get expert advice about the heavy duty parts that you buy, and you're going to learn about things that are going on in the industry. This episode is sponsored by truckpartscross.com. With over 1.5 million crosses and counting, you can find just about everything you're looking for on truckpartscross.com. In this episode, we are going to discuss collision repair. And to help us with that, I'd like to introduce Chris Stewart, CFO and COO of Fairfield Auto and Truck Service. And they specialize in heavy-duty collision repair. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jamie. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start off the conversation because I'm actually not very familiar with collision repair at all. And I'd like you to maybe tell us what is it about collision repair that the average driver doesn't know? The average driver uh, isn't aware of the amount of handoffs there are in the industry. Sometimes the vehicle likely goes to the dealer or the manufacturer that made the truck. And across the country, depending on how large the city is, it doesn't always make sense for dealers to have body shops or a strong, complete body shop to handle the entire repair. So often that vehicle gets subletted to an independent collision repair shop or an independent frame repair shop or spring shop. So to make sure that the vehicle is being repaired correctly, there are a lot of items that get lost in translation or glossed over. And there's questions on who is actually handling it and if it ever does get handled. So, um, and with dealers that they're, with EPA compliance, lack of floor space, and also um, the, the volume of work, it, it just doesn't make sense for them to invest in frame repair equipment, paint booths, um, the training, and you know their core competencies tend to be in the mechanical side of things anyway. So they had to rely on independent repairs. And with the technology that's added onto these vehicles, if they go to the dealer and the dealer sublets sub- that, sublets the collision repair to a body shop, you know, who is uh, calibrating the advanced driver assist systems on these trucks now? Who is making sure that all the nuts and bolts and fasteners are torqued properly? Who is verifying that the, the repairs have been done properly? There's just a lot of assumptions being made that there's, that the vehicle is being repaired properly. But um, from my ex- experience going across the country, and I've been in a lot of repair shops, I'm involved with a lot of trade organizations and people that I respect, we have differences on how we think trucks should be repaired. So even seeing shops that I respect that are trying to do the right thing, there's variations. So I've, with some of the trade associations, we're working to create some standards and press the OEMs and component suppliers to start giving us more information so we can repair these vehicles properly. It sounds to me like there's the opportunity for there to be a lot of blind spots because of the fact that there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved in the repair of a vehicle that's been in a collision. Like right off the bat, I'm assuming you have the you have the owner of the truck, you have the insurance company that they insure with, you have the initial place that the truck is taken to, then where does the truck get sent from there? And that's kind of what I'm hearing. That that's what you're saying. Yep. And once it gets to those repair facilities, uh, it's verifying that the work has been done properly 
prior to being put back on the road and to make sure everybody's eyes were dotted and T's were crossed. What blind spots do repair shops themselves have? One other, I just want to highlight one other change that's going on in the industry with some of these new systems putting on, be put on the trucks with cameras and the um, accident avoidance features. Some of these trucks are actually designed to, like if a vehicle were to cut off a truck, the truck's actually designed to run into that vehicle in some circumstances. The braking system, if it's if there's not enough room for that braking system to stop that truck, it, it might mildly actually rear-end that car and to keep a more catastrophic accident from happening, say a rollover or going off-road and uh, causing a, a greater catastrophe. So the, in, with the cameras now on the trucks and the stopping distances being known for these safety systems, Typically, the driver was always called at fault for following too closely, whether it was his fault for the car cutting him off or not. But now with the cameras and the safety systems, the script's going to be flipped, and they're going to be the claimant and claiming against the car's insurance company. So they want to make sure these trucks are being repaired correctly so they go back on the road and insults not added to injury where a bad repair causes a second accident. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can see I can see the implications of that and how there's going to be lots of discussion around liability and whatnot, definitely. And as I said earlier, the, the materials on the trucks are changing. It makes them more energy fuel efficient. They're stronger and lighter materials that work great under normal circumstances. But once you add in energy and forces from a collision, the axles um, might be hit and pushed into a from an angle that they're not meant to be pushed in. Uh, they, they they might fail because they're being hit from the side from an angle from a if a car hits the front axle of a truck, those forces from that accident are hitting that axle and it was never intended to take those forces in that direction. So the metallurgy on these axles are changing because they're lighter weight and the there's a grain structure in that metal and the stronger the stronger it is, the more brittle they tend to be. Uh, when a, when a vehicle takes an impact, there could be internal fissures in the casting that aren't perceivable to the eye. You could do a dye penitent trent test to the outside of the axle, and it may not show any fractures. But um, there's a process called particle inspection. And really, for the cost of the axle, it's fairly cheap. Some of these particle inspections can only cost 100 bucks or so. But it's definitely worthwhile to x-ray that axle because if you just you know swap some parts, change some um, bearings and hubs and wheel ends, and let that axle go back on the road, you know, after it's been on the road for many miles, that internal fissure can turn into a catastrophic fracture of that axle. And it's mainly just because, again, there's less material there because the materials are stronger and lighter, but it takes a keen eye to, and extra due diligence to make sure that we're we're not just blindly putting that, that vehicle back on the road with, with some damage. So when it comes to dealing with those kinds of repairs, how does a owner ensure that their truck is repaired correctly? And what does a shop have to do to ensure that they can stand behind their work? Basically, whenever some of these components on the truck are taking or have been damaged or taking an, an impact, a lot of shops just eyeball it. They're not using any measuring equipment to see if it's bent. And you, you might have a, an axle that doesn't appear bent, but by, by having a particle inspected and x-rayed that you just want to make sure that the shop is doing everything they can to make sure that every component is is going to be solid and, and safe for the road again. So if it, you ask a shop if they're x-raying or particle inspecting the axle, that's a question they should be asking because if the shop's never heard of it, you probably should find another shop or, or instruct them on why it's important. 
Would you ever have a situation where the shop might respond, well, the insurance company won't pay for that? Is it like, what's the obligation of the insurance company? Man, I can see how complicated this gets really quickly. Oh, absolutely. Um, The insurance companies, they they default to the expertise of the shop. So all the liability lies on the expertise of that shop. And often they don't want to pay for it because a lot of shops are not doing that or not asking for this. So uh, one of the things I do is um, I'm involved with several different organizations, the TMC, the Technology Maintenance Council, as part of the American Trucking Association. Then there's an organization called the Heavy Duty Repair Forum. Those are the two big ones where we're really bringing collision repairs together. Uh, At TMC, we're bringing, finally, we're bringing collision repairs, experts, and OEMs, and and, and fleet owners together to, to discuss these issues so we can create some standards and some and create a blueprint or a roadmap to help fleets know what questions to ask. So by raising awareness through these organizations, we're working to have a document that you can tell point the insurance companies to and say, okay, the shop down the road that you're comparing me to may not do this, but the fleets want this done. And the industry, the general industry wants this done. So it, it is a common practice. So if we have documents that we can point to, and that and these documents have been vetted by the OEMs, by fleets, and by repairs. Uh, everybody's coming together to agree that this is a best practice or a recommended practice. It kind of takes that friction and that question out of the out of the uh, equation, and it makes it a better situation for everybody. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Chris, CFO and COO of Fairfield Auto and Truck Service, who specialize in heavy duty collision repair. Chris, why has there not been a standard established at this point? What has been the barriers to getting there? You're talking about this, you know, you're you're really pushing for this standard to be created. It's 2019. Why hasn't it been done so already? Uh, there's a lot of people out there that have been this in this business a long time. And I think that one of the dangerous, most dangerous phrases are, I know, I've been doing it for 30 years and I've never had a problem or never seen a problem. But there's a tsunami of technology coming at us with the different materials and, and techn- computer systems and sensors, things that, 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 that attitude has to change or else it, it's just a matter of time till you do have that issue and you do see it. There's several organizations out there that there's a group called Terra, the truck axle repair association, and then ECOFAST, the alignment council of frame, the American council of frame and alignment specialists. Uh, there's some good groups out there that have tried to bring this information and put it in front of repairs, but, they splintered. Uh, the groups are small and dwindling, and not a lot of people are, are, are looking for that information right now. They're just trying to survive. They're starting to become more of a need for it because people are starting to see failures happen. There's a new resurgence, and that's why why you have TMC and the heavy duty repair form, and uh, you have people finally coming back together again to to raise awareness. The, the tide is changing, and people are starting to request this. The heavy duty right to repair act went to effect recently where the OEMs are starting to put some of their information out and make it available to the independents. It's still very hard to come by, but with the technology being more complicated, we are starting to get more access to it and things are starting to get a little better. So that was a legislation in the U.S. government that caused that to happen or how did that come about? Um, The Heavy Duty Right to Repair Act, it was about 10 years late compared to the car automotive world. They've had theirs for quite some time. That's about right in heavy duty. Yeah. In Massachusetts, I believe it was, there's some legislation there that was going to be moving forward. Some of the different trade associations across the country worked together with some of the OEMs to 
and their trade associations to kind of come together with an agreement. So they have what's called a memorandum of understanding that the OEMs will will start making this available in lieu of a lawsuit and in, in lieu of legislation in Massachusetts. Uh, I don't. I'm not an expert on exactly how all that came together. Um, Mark Karen with CVSN uh, and his organization, I think, was the, the quarterback behind that getting done. So uh, th- that's, that's still in its infancy. There's a website called uh, the National Automotive Service Task Force (NASTF.org), and that website has a um, kind of a one-stop place where all the OEMs are supposed to put a link to their repair information. And independents can now go to the NASTF.org, click the link to the OEM, and get sent to their site where you should be able to pay a small fee, get access for a temporary period of time to the same information a dealer essentially would have. Uh, oh, there's still a long way to go. The information's still hard to, to wade through. And some, deal, some OEMs make it more difficult than others to get to it. But, but it is there. If you were to wave a magic wand as it were and to change things the way you see how it should be what would that look like so in the car world if you went to like a ford or gm site uh, typical fees for to get to access to the same thing the dealer would get is about twenty dollars and it gives you an access for about three days there's yearly fees of a thousand bucks or two thousand dollars if you have and it makes sense to pay that amount if you have a lot of that maker model rolling through your company but us reasonable fees to get access to this information would be helpful some of the truck oems one in particular you have to write a handwritten check to the to the oem there's a six to eight week turnaround time just to get access to the site with a 350 dollars hourly fee up to i think a 500 dollars daily fee and, and once you get access to it some of the information there is still pretty limited so more reasonable fees to get access to the information, I, I think, would be helpful. In the collision repair space, again, one of the things that's different with collision repair is that we're fixing vehicles that just hit the road. You know, we do, a lot of dealers don't have body shops, so vehicles in transit before it's even sold to the customers sometimes get in accidents. And the technology is super advanced on these trucks now. Uh, in the mechanical world, independent garages, they tend not to see the vehicle until it's out of warranty. And some of the repairs and repair methods and uh, diagnostic information, that's trickled down to the aftermarket independent by then. But in the collision repair space, you know, accidents don't discriminate based on the age of the vehicle. So you know, we're, we're seeing these vehicles with these advanced driver assist systems with like radar, LIDAR. Uh, if they're mounted to the front frame rails, just one degree, one degree off, uh, you know, at 30 feet is not a big deal, but one degree off at uh, 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards, that means that device could be looking over a couple lanes of traffic and, and missing what's actually what it's actually supposed to be seeing. So making sure that the frames are correct and making sure that the devices are mounted to the frame properly and calibrated, these, are, these devices are on trucks today and we have to fix them. And just because they have these devices doesn't mean they're not going to get in accidents. That makes a lot of sense to me because, at like you said, at 30 feet, it's one thing. But even within the 255 feet or 235 feet stopping distance from 60 miles per hour. So at 30 feet, it might be accurate. But at what about at 235? Within the stopping distance, your truck has to legally be able to stop. If it's off, that's a problem. 
Then there's an accident. Somebody dies who is responsible. What a mess that would create. And then going back to the handoff between a dealer and the body shop. So um, vehicles in an accident has some frame damage, has some suspension and steering damage. The body shop, you know, gets the steering, puts new steering components on it, gets the frame straight, gives it back to the dealer. Who was responsible to make sure they did a, an end of line calibration. So most of the, a lot of the OEMs have Bendix or Meritor system. They're one of the two big ones out there. And they call for any time there's a change in any time there's a change with with the frame damage or a steering correction or steering component is made. You basically have to do a fact, the same thing they do at the factory when they roll it off the line, they have to do a calibration to make sure the wheels are in alignment with the steering gear and the steering wheel. So that way all the safety systems operate properly. Everything basically piggybacks off the steering angle sensor. So if, if the body shop doesn't do that calibration, um, and the dealer doesn't know it didn't get done, and the dealer doesn't do it, they could be handing the vehicle back to a customer that's going to go on the road, and it might get several miles and you know halfway across the state or country before it triggers the dash light, and all those safety systems aren't functioning properly. In fact, it, if they're not functioning properly, it could cause um, it could it could actually help cause an accident with with the lane assist uh, with the vehicle partially driving itself, rollovers. Uh, there's a rollover sensor on the frame rails and I've seen that where it's installed upside down and the vehicle thinks it's in a rollover state. So every time the brakes lock up only half the t- wheels on the tire on the truck lock up and it causes the truck to dart over into a, to, a, to another lane. So there's just so many systems that a, a, a wreck is chaotic, a collision is chaotic and it can affect multiple systems on the truck. It's not just a, you know, a maintenance issue or a you know one a squeaky a squeaky uh component in, in the engine system it, it's it can it can affect the after treatment system the frame suspension fifth wheel cab it, it, there's just so much that's involved in the collision and to make sure all those components are operating as one safety system it, it's critical there's communication between the body shop and the dealer or the body shop and the frame shop and, and all those people had to work together to get that vehicle delivered to the customer safely. So it's not just the availability of the correct information. It's also being able to make sure that from the point of collision, that truck gets brought into a dealer, it goes, it gets subletted to somebody else. It comes back to the dealer and back into the hands of the owner of the fleet. There has to be some continuity there and there has to be a transfer of information to verify that the things are being done correctly. That's a big job. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you were able to come on the podcast today and talk about this because that way, at least people will be thinking about it. If if there was one thing that you wanted to leave our listeners with, like what's the key takeaway from today's conversation? I would say the key takeaway is to ask who your vehicle is getting subletted to. Um, Make sure that all those people in the sublet chain have proper insurance and liability insurance in place. Know where your truck is going and and ask the questions on, do those people have training? Are they involved in active and trade associations to keep up with this technology? Find out who is working on your vehicle and find out if if they're keeping up with, with this technology and if they're active. You've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Chris, CFO and COO of Fairfield Auto and Truck Service. They specialize in heavy duty collision repair. 
To learn more about Fairfield Auto and Truck Service, go to fairfieldautotruck.com. Links are in the show notes. Chris, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Jamie. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? Go to heavydutypartsreport.com to listen to and subscribe to the podcast. And remember to focus on cost per mile over purchase price, and let's keep those trucks and trailers rolling. And Chris would probably add to that, let's keep them rolling safely. HCA Truck Pride is the heart of the Independent Parts and Service Channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride and let the heart of the Independent Service Channel take care of your commercial equipment.